Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 29 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? I hope everyone enjoyed NBA All-Star Weekend as much as I did. You can find me on the Twitter machine at BannerBanter18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. Folks, let's just get right into it because, go ahead, per usual, we got a lot to get into. Am I right? All right, currently, it's the NBA All-Star break. So, boom. Every single NBA team gets about a week off. You know, for example, Daniel Tice, he's in the Bahamas. Gordon Hayward talked about how he's going to be staying in the area. He's not going to go anywhere to make sure that he stays focused and stays in the good shape that he's in because he's had a great couple of last few games. And then, you know, Kyrie and Jason Tatum and others, they're obviously, we're down in Charlotte for NBA All-Star Weekend. And we'll recap all that stuff later on in the podcast. But 24 games remaining for the Boston Celtics, so the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, I believe their goal should be at least getting to the third seed. I feel like the second and first seed are kind of out of the picture, especially, you know, they're six and a half games behind the Bucks and five and a half games behind the Raptors. So those things are kind of unrealistic for them, especially with the strength of schedules for all the teams. And I'm going to break that all down for you right now. So currently the Celtics are 37 and 21. They're 27-10 and 10 against all the teams in the Eastern Conference, which is great. That should make a lot of people happy. They're 10-3 and 3 within the division, so that means they're 10-3 and 3 against the Nets, the Knicks, the 76ers, and the Raptors. Delicious. They're 23-8 at home. 23-8 at home. We need home court advantage, just like we needed home court advantage in the playoffs last year. Thank God we had home court advantage minus Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they're 14-13 and 13 on the road. So again, 23-8 at home. 14 and 13 on the road. You obviously want home court advantage, at least, hopefully, in the first round, maybe the second round, if they're lucky. So the Celtics have the sixth toughest schedule left, according to tankathon.com, which is a great website. Sixth toughest schedule. They have one game at least against the Bucks, the Raptors, the Warriors, the Nuggets, the 76ers, and the Rockets. And guess what? Road game, road game, road game, road game, road game, home game. <sighs> That's, I mean, that, let's say they lose those six games. you got to make sure you win the other 18 out of the 24. And we'll recap the, uh, I'm sorry, we'll not recap. We'll preview the Bucks game, which is the first game after the All-Star break, which is on Thursday night at 8 o'clock in Milwaukee. But, for example, let's talk about the Bucks. The Bucks are the number one seed. They're six and a half games ahead of the Celtics. The season series tied one to one. Now, we'll talk about why the season series is important in a second, but for the Bucks Celtics matchup and the fact that they're six and a half games ahead of the Celtics, it really doesn't matter. But obviously, getting a win over the Bucks this Thursday is very, very important to this team. It really and truly is. And then you have the Raptors, they're the number two seed. They're five and a half games ahead of the Celtics. They're one game behind the Bucks. And according to tankathon.com, the Raptors have the easiest schedule remaining. The easiest 
the Celtics have the sixth toughest, and then the Bucks have the fifth easiest. So that's not good if you're trying to catch some teams to get the number one or number two seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Right now, the Raptors, Celtics, season series, 2-1 to one in favor of your Boston Celtics. We've got one more game coming up on Monday, February 26th at 8 o'clock in Toronto. Celtics win that, and the Celtics can catch up to the Raptors. The Celtics would win the season series if they do have the same record at the end of the season, and that would catapult them above the Toronto Raptors. So if the season can maybe go on like a, like a little 10-game win streak, Raptors lose like two or three in a row, this is a possibility. It really and truly is. But let's focus on the Pacers and the 76ers. Right now, the Pacers are five and a half behind the Bucks, four and a half behind the Raptors, and they have one game lead over the Boston Celtics. Now, Victor Oladipo, talked about him a lot on this podcast. I'm a big fan of his. He's out. He's out for a bit. Actually, not out for a bit. He's out for the rest of the regular season. He probably won't be back until like December of 2019. But the Pacers are 13-19 and 19 without Victor Oladipo. So it's really not a great record. The Celtics are, what, 9-2, and 10-2 without Kyrie? And don't worry, I'll get into a nice little banter later on on why this team is not better without Kyrie Irving. But anyways, but they the Pacers did a great pickup during the buyout market. They got Wesley Matthews. Now, is he as good as Victor Oladipo? Absolutely not. But he can score the basketball. So it'll be interesting to see what their record is, let's say, by the end of March without Victor Oladipo, but with Wesley Matthews. Now, the great part about the Pacers' remaining schedule, it's the 8th toughest. So Celtics 6th toughest, Pacers 8th toughest. Series is tied 1-1. to We've got two games left, March 29th and April 5th. March 29th is at the Garden, and then April 5th is in, in, in Indiana. That's a mouthful. In Indiana. Blech. Anyways, so those two games, March 29th, April 5th, could really determine who gets the three seed, who gets the four seed, who gets the fifth seed, because we also have to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, who have the same exact record as the Boston Celtics, but since the Celtics beat the 76ers last Tuesday, they win the season series. So even, oh, I burped, bound to happen, excuse me. So even if the 76ers beat the Celtics on March 20th when they play again in Philadelphia, it won't matter because that means the Celtics will win the series three games to one. But here's the negative. The 76ers have the ninth easiest schedule left. (sighs) So the Celtics, Celtics literally only, I mean, six. So basically, I'm trying to say this the best way possible. The Celtics schedule sucks. The rest of the way, it really does. I mean, if you think about it, 23-8 and eight at home, that means they only have 10 home games left. So they're 14 games on the road. Everyone's tired this part of the season. Are you going to rest Al Horford? Are you going to rest Kyrie? What's more important, the seeding or rest? We'll be interested to see how Danny and Brad and others handle that. But speaking of the 76ers, let's talk about the huge, huge, huge road win Last Tuesday night in Philadelphia when the Celtics won 112-109. to 109. And I'm, I think the thing that I'm most happy about this game is the fact that the Celtics didn't lose the third quarter battle. I mean, they kind of did, but they didn't lose it the way that they usually do. Over the last, what, two, three weeks, maybe even last month, the Celtics have come out of halftime flat. They have sucked in the third quarter. Usually they suck in the second quarter, but they're making improvements there and they're doing very well. 
for certain games, not all the games. Third quarter, I was nervous, especially over the fact that they were up six. It was 52-46, I believe, at halftime. The Sixers started on a 18-4 run to start the third quarter. 18-4 run, so just like that, the Celtics were down eight. Now, usually when this happens, this is the time where not only some fans may turn off the television, but the Celtics actually check out. But this time they didn't. The Celtics then matched that with a 19-4 run. Hayward, Horford combined for 15 of those 19 points. Daniel Tice and Marcus Morris, I think, had the other two. But that was huge because it ended up the Celtics were only up three at the end of the third quarter instead of being down like 8, 10, 12, and then not being able to come back because the two teams each dropped 35 points each in the fourth. So they literally went toe for t- you know toe-to-toe. I was going to say toe-for-toe. Toe-to-toe in the fourth quarter. So that that little 19 to 4 run after an 18 after they gave up an 18 to 4 run was massive. That run was so important. So shout out to Hayward, Horford, Tyson Morris for for making those things happen. But one thing that obviously a lot of people talked about after the game and I'll talk about a little bit here is Joel Embiid. He is a great player. He really is. He's probably even a better troll on Twitter. He's having an MB, MB, MVP type season. 27 points, 13 boards, shooting 48% from the field. He has 20 games where he scored more than 30 points, and he has 48 double-doubles. That's ridiculous. Those are great numbers. But when it comes to Al Horford and playing the Boston Celtics, none of that matters because Al Horford is now 10-2 and when he plays Joel Embiid. Al Horford was incredible in this game. The passion that he had right away, like, what was it, the first or second possession that the 76ers had where he played great defense, got called for the foul, swung his arms around, literally ran up to the ref. I've never seen Al Horford that angry in my entire life, ever, over anything, like anything at all. It it, it kind of scared me, to be honest with you, because Al Horford's supposed to be like the really nice, polite guy. But he was so fired up, got the tee, you know, and Embiid like kind of giggled or whatever. But after that... It was game over. Game over. You could say out of the last, like, let's just say the last eight games, I would say that Horford has outplayed Embiid in six of them. There were, like, two games where Embiid dropped, like, 34 and 16, and then he had, like, 31 and 12 or 31 and 13 at opening night this year, but the Celtics won those games. This is the great part about Al Horford. Al Horford can slow Embiid down. He gets into his head. He makes him very tired. You know, if you, like, he almost kind of, like, gave up. I I hate, like, calling out players for giving up, and I don't want to say Embiid gave up, but Embiid doesn't like it when you make it tough on him. He really and truly doesn't. He he borderline hates it, and I think Al Horford knows that, and Al Horford did a great job. But minus Al Horford, the game plan that the Celtics had was great. It was basically this. Let Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons get theirs, and don't let the two-man game of Redick and Embiid get going. So basically, what I mean by that is, when J.J. Redick starts hitting shots, the, the floor gets spread out, which then means Embiid is one-on-one in the post, and he's one of the best one-on-one, if not the best, one-on-one post players in the league. And so now that J.J. Redick isn't hitting shots, you can now kind of close in on Embiid and double him, and then he'll have to kick it out to Simmons and Butler, and you'll let Butler and Simmons take outside jumpers all day. And one thing that the Celtics did really well, 
the 76ers always run this like cross screen at the elbow to get like mismatches, you know, for Butler or Simmons or basically ha- leave JJ Redick wide open or give a mismatch to Embiid in the post. And the Celtics refused to let that happen. They switched on every single time, and it and it was great. The Celtics switching, even though sometimes it bothers me, was fantastic in this game. It really truly was. And I feel like the Celtics now know the formula to beat the 76ers. You force J.J. Redick with tough shots, get a hand in his face, and then you force Embiid to go one-on-one with Al, and that is perfect. And then the other thing I think they found out is basically that Tobias Harris is a great scorer. Tobias Harris is a great pickup for the 76ers, but Tobias Harris has heavy feet when it comes to defense. He's, I didn't realize, like, I don't know if he was tired. I don't know if he didn't know the defensive scheme that well because, I mean, it was, what, Tobias Harris, maybe third game with the 76ers. But, man, you put Morris or Tatum, you give them the ball on Tobias Harris, they'll score. He's really not that great of a defender. I mean, he can shoot the ball real well, but, man. And speaking of Tatum and Marcus Morris, they had 37 and 18. 37 points, 18 boards combined. Mook, oh, ripped again. Mook carried them in the first half. Tatum carried them in the second half, and it was great. It really was. Balance scoring from both of them is super, super, super important. But the one thing I was a little disappointed about in this game before we move on to the Pistons game is the fact that Terry Rozier, Terry Rozier sucked offensively, but man, he was really, really good defensively. I thought he did a great job because at first Brad put him on Jimmy Butler and you're like, what? But then again, Ben Simmons would destroy him because Ben Simmons loves to post up. So it was a good idea. So that's why you put, I think... Marcus Morris was on Ben Simmons and Tatum was on Tobias Harris. Marcus Smart was running around like a with like a chicken with his head cut off trying to follow JJ Redick. So I thought Brad did a great job in this game and didn't get the credit that he deserves for really just he owns Brett Brown and he owns the 76ers and hopefully that can continue not only for the rest of the season but in the playoffs too because chances are you you might have to play the 76ers in the playoffs. Now one last thing, Gordon Hayward was obviously fantastic off the bench for the 76ers, so I thought to myself, when was the last time a Celtics player had a great game off the bench for the Philadelphia 70, uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers? And that leads us into our Banner Banter investigation. Let's go. We now interrupt this podcast to bring you a very special Banner Banter investigation, Celtics Unit Report. Okay, this week's Banner Banter investigation is about Rodney Rogers. Rodney Rogers had a memorable performance against the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 5 of the first round of the playoffs in 2002. Now, back then, I really shouldn't say that back then because it wasn't 100 years ago. It was only about 17 years ago. The first round in the NBA playoffs was only five games. So, two games to two. Tied Philadelphia 76ers, Boston Celtics. They go to TD Garden. Celtics win 120 to 87, thanks to a plus 19 performance in 19 minutes by Rodney Rogers. Eight points, three boards, two assists, and two seals. Now, who's Rodney Rogers for those that don't remember because he only played 27 games for the Boston Celtics? Well, Rodney Rogers was drafted by the Denver Nuggets in the 1993 NBA draft, ninth overall. He was. The old Zion Williamson. And what I mean by that is no one has really ever seen a 6'7", 235 lefty 
to be a great shooter, very powerful, very athletic, just a big, big guy that could dominate the way that Rodney Rogers dominated at Wake Forest, which is where he went to school. Now, Zion Williamson is like 45 pounds heavier than Rodney Rogers, but just an example, Rodney Rogers was like the first really like tank of an athlete that came into the NBA, and no one's really ever seen it before. And there was actually one time the Nuggets and Jazz were playing each other. There was about 30 seconds left, and Rodney Rogers scored nine points in nine seconds. He got the ball, shot a three. Then Robert Pack stole a ball, passed to Rodney Rogers. He stuck a three. Then Rodney Rogers stole an inbounds pass. He stuck a three with like 10 seconds left. Hornets, I mean Hornets. The Nuggets were up two, and then Jeff Hornacek went down the court, stuck a three. Jazz win. Pretty crazy game, but he that's what Rodney Rogers will probably be remembered the most for in his NBA career was the fact that he scored nine points in nine seconds. Rodney Rogers, he, he played for a lot of teams. A lot of teams wanted him. He played for eight NBA teams, 866 games total. He averaged 11 points, four boards, and two assists a game. And like I said, he only played 27 games for the Celtics, but he averaged 10 points, four boards, and he shot 41% from three as a lefty when he was playing for the Celtics. And he also won the sixth man of the year back in 1999-2000 season when he was playing for the Phoenix Suns. Now, in that 2002 season where he came, he was traded in February right at the trade deadline. He came with Tony Delk, who we did a banner banter investigation about before. And he was traded for Randy Brown, Joe Johnson, Milt Palacio, and a 2002 first-round pick. He was basically, how can I say this the right way? He was basically like the Leon Poe of that 2002 NBA team, uh, NBA Eastern Conference team, where the Celtics lost to the Nets. He was their Liam Poe. Came off the bench. You know he'd get some positive minutes. He'd make the right decisions. It's just that he could shoot a lot better than Leon Poe. He kind of spread the floor a little bit for the Celtics. After that season, 2002, he then signed on as a member of the Nets as a free agent. Kind of went on, you know, ended his career. But then in 2008, he rode his dirt bike. And this is, like, really sad. He rode his dirt bike at a pretty high rate of speed, and he hit a curb. And he broke his neck, and he will never be able to walk again. He's paralyzed from the neck down. He His annual medical expenses, I saw, are close to $500,000 a year. But he made $26.7 million throughout his career. And the NBA Players Association actually have an award named after him. It's like a Courage Award. And he does a lot within the NBA Players Association. He's still very involved in the NBA. And, it, you know, it's kind of see to it's sad to see the pictures of Rodney Rogers in his wheelchair paralyzed, but he was a great player for that 2002 Eastern Conference Finals Boston Celtics team, and that is this week's Banner Banter Investigation. So let's get into the Pistons game real quick. Celtics beat the Pistons 118-110, to and if you listen to the episode 28, because clearly the Celtics did, they won the rebound battle, and that is why they won this basketball game. They won the rebound battle by 6. Horford had 14. Crazy. Drummond had 17, so it wasn't like a big mismatch where Drummond gets 20, Horford gets 10. Horford stuck with Drum, uh, Andre Drummond as much as he could. The To play Embiid one night, argu- arguably an MVP candidate, and then to go up against a bigger dude like Andre Drummond and Al Horford to have two great games back-to-back like that, super important. So I hope Al Horford really and truly enjoyed his, uh, uh, his all-star break. No Kyrie, no Baines, no Time Lord. No Scary Terry, that is A-OK by me. Because 
Brad went with an interesting starting lineup. Smart, Tatum, Horford, Morris, and you would think Jalen Brown, eh, wrong. It was actually Gordon Hayward. Maybe Brad was just riding the great game that Gordon Hayward actually had. And Tatum and Morris, they had their normal games, bad bad shot selection, scored in the high teens, rebounded the ball well. Marcus Smart had a classic game. Not like a classic game this year because, you know, he's shooting the ball very well this year, but like an old-school Marcus Smart game where, like, he would miss his first five shots and then hit his final eight, and he'd end up, you know, like 7 of 13 or 7 of 12 or 8 of 14 from the field. Those That was the type of night you got from the one and only Marcus Smart. And then Gordon Hayward, he was great as well. He was 5 of 8 from the field. He had eight free throws. He went to the free throw line eight times, and the other nine guys that played went to the free throw line a total of seven times. So aggressive Gordon Hayward is back. I'm not saying he's back to his normal self, but you could see over the last few games that Gordon Hayward's confidence is building, in, especially in the lane, attacking the basket, and I love it. But the person that I was super pumped for was Semi Ojale. Semi Ojale hasn't really played a lot. Obviously, he was a key piece in the Buck series, you know, defending Giannis Antetokounmpo, which we'll talk about in a little bit when we preview the Bucks game. But he came in 3 or 4 from the field. He was a plus 19, just like Rodney Rogers. But he was a, he was great. He stuck a couple threes. He was really, really cool. And it's great to see that guys like Semi Ojale and Daniel Tice, because Daniel Tice, like, for example, in the Lakers game and the Clippers game uh, two weeks ago, he was they were both great. They're ready to go. They're ready to come off the bench. And you got to give Brad Stevens a little credit to have these guys ready to go. But, again, the Celtics won the third quarter for the second straight game. you got to love it. You gotta love it. They went into the third quarter up 13. Um, I'm sorry. They went into the fourth quarter up 19. They did a great job. They didn't let the Pistons go crazy. They didn't let them score 40 points. But wait, they did that in the fourth quarter. The Pistons scored 38 points, cut the lead down to single digits. It got a little dicey there for a second. But hey, baby steps. At least they didn't take off. You know, their foot off the pedal in the second or the third quarter. So. We're getting there. But the fact that they win two games in a row, back-to-back, one road, one home, going in the All-Star break, get your rest, keep your confidence up, and let's do this damn thing. But before I'm done with the Pistons game, the Pistons flopping in this game was borderline award-worthy. Daniel Tice got a technical foul. I think it was in the second quarter, maybe the third. I don't know. Pick whichever quarter you want. But Daniel Tice and Andre Drummond were, you know, running up the court. They were kind of you know, shoving each other a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Andre Drummond looks like he got pushed by Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, actually, Thomas the Tank Engine's nice. But it looks like he got hit by a a freaking train. And he flew like five feet. And even like Marcus Smart like looked at him and was like, hey, man, that was pretty good. I mean, I'm a professional flopper, and that was great. So salute to you for doing that. And Andre Drummond is 280. Daniel Tice is 240. Daniel Tice is like a stick compared to Andre Drummond. So there is no way a little elbow shove from Daniel Tice could make you go that far. So props to you. And then Blake Griffin, I don't know what's worse, his flopping or his Kia commercials. Either way, some of his flopping in this game was atrocious. But hey, that's why he's an all-star. He gets those calls, and that's that. All right. I'm recording this uh, early on a Sunday morning. And yes, I do record the day before I actually release them. I don't usually do it on Mondays. but So I don't have the results of the Team Giannis, Team LeBron 
all-star game. But Jason Tatum, shout out to you, my friend. You should have won MVP in the Team USA, Team World Rising Stars Challenge. Kyrie was the coach on Friday night, so he's 1-0 as a coach. But Kyle Kuzma won the MVP. Now let me ask you a question, folks. Maybe this is just because I hate the Lakers with every single ounce of my soul. I I think Kyle Kuzma is a good player. That's probably about as far as I'll go with compliments towards a, South, uh, towards a Lakers player. Kuzma had 35 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, 27 shot attempts, and was a plus 18. That's MVP-type numbers, no doubt. But this kid named Jason Tatum had 30 points on 3 less shot attempts, 3 more rebounds, 1 more assist, and was a plus 20. So 39-3 plus 20. Kuzma, 35-6-2 plus 18. Jason Tatum should have won the MVP. Either way, it was a very entertaining Team USA, Team World, Rising Stars Challenge. I'm really glad the NBA do this for to show off the future of the NBA. Luca, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, Kuzma, Larkin, all those guys. Really glad to, to watch those games, especially no guys got hurt. So that was very important as well. Then you go into the Taco Bell Skills Challenge. Who wins? Jason Tatum. He was like, you know what, Kuzma? Have your MVP. Hold my beer. I'm going to go win this Taco Bell skills challenge. He won it on a half-court shot because Trey Young is so much faster than Jason Tatum. I actually want to see Jason Tatum, like, run. Like, actually run and mean it because he just looks, like, so, like, nonchalant and slow all the time. Like, I actually want to see him put his head down and sprint as fast as he possibly can. But, anyways... He won the Taco Bell Skills Challenge. That was really cool. Joe Harris beat out Steph Curry. I picked Joe Harris to win the three-point contest, and he actually won. And then Diallo from the Oklahoma City Thunder won the slam dunk contest with a pretty cool dunk. He actually jumped over Shaq and then dunked the ball into the net and then hung from his inner elbow. Crazy dunk. Really cool. And he didn't, like, push Shaq's shoulders down to see, like, if he could actually jump over him. It was a really cool dunk. The NBA dunk contest, I really enjoy. I think there's too much pressure on these guys. You can blame, you know, the Vince Carters, Jason Richardsons, the Aaron Gordons of the world, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I didn't think it, I didn't think it was a bad dunk contest. Definitely see some worse. And speaking of all stars, why don't we get into our stud and dud of the week? Hit the music. And now it is time for the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud. Of the week. Okay, this week's Celtics stud and dud of the week. Who's the stud going to be? Is it going to be Horford? Nope, it's going to be Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward wins it by a photo finish. By just a hair. Because Al was great this week. But Gordon Hayward, mm -mm mm-mm-mm. He is the reason why the Celtics won that 76ers game. Only player in double digits in the plus minus he was a plus 11 8 of 11 from the field 6 of 7 from 3 4 boards 3 assists and he kind of got back to his old self in Utah he had the ball in his hands he's the one that brought the ball up the court he's the one that would have pick and rolls he would be the one that would hand off the ball to you know let's say Ricky Rubio was Ricky Rubio on his team who was his point guard, or Dante Exum, or whoever his point guard was, he'd hand the ball off and then run around screens and be the guy, and that's who he was. The pick and roll with him and Horford was spot on in this game. 
you know, Tobias Harris would be guarding him. Tobias Harris is a bad defender. And B would try and go get him so he wouldn't attack the layup. He'd throw it out to Al. Al would stick some huge three-pointers. And the other thing is, is there were times where Gordon passes led to better passes which led to assists so i'd love to see i think gordon must have had 10 hockey assists and what i mean by hockey assist is you actually get credit for the first assist which then or the first pass which leads to the next pass which leads to the basket so that's what i mean by a hockey assist so gordon hayward was phenomenal in this game and he you could notice that he felt comfortable with the ball in his hands. Now, I'm not saying take the ball out of Terry Rozier's hand when all of them are out there because I think Terry Rozier is a reasonable and a good point guard in the NBA. I'd like to see him pass more, but so be it. But Gordon Hayward should have the ball in his hands more at the top of the key where he can create and see the floor better. Now, Gordon Hayward in his last five games, 17 points, 61% from the field, 50% from three, Five boards, four assists. And he's been your leading scorer in two out of the last three games. And that one game that he wasn't, he was the second leading scorer. So I just want to say hello to all my Gordon Hayward fans that were impatient and wanted him to be great right away. Mm -mm, Wasn't going to happen. Nope, nope, it wasn't. It wasn't going to happen. But, and here's here's what makes me smile, especially for you impatient Gordon Hayward fans that think that he was going to be an all-star right away after shattering his ankle. In December, 10 points per game, 37% from the field. January, 11.5 points per game, 46.5% from the field. February, 14 points per game, 56.4% from the field. You want Gordon Hayward good in April. You don't need Gordon Hayward good in October. You want Gordon Hayward good in May. You don't want Gordon Hayward good in November. It was going to take some time for this dude to feel comfortable. It took Paul George a little bit. Paul George was a better player. So I'm telling you, I needed him. I I said a couple podcasts ago, at first I gave Gordon the opportunity to be good until Christmas. He, He didn't do it. So I wanted to give him a second chance, and I basically said the all-star break. And he's I don't, he's back. Stand by your man. That's Marcus Morris, but my buddy Brian, stand by your man. He, like, my buddy Brian brought up a great point. David Price and Gordon Hayward, they're kind of like the same. But obviously David Price is a much bigger of an asshole than Gordon Hayward is. David Price... A lot of money, should perform better, and obviously he did in the playoffs for the Red Sox in the World Series, and that's what you want from Gordon Hayward. You want Gordon Hayward to shut everyone up in April and May and hopefully June because right now he's getting to that point. Now, am I saying he should start? Absolutely not. He should not start. All I'm saying is he now deserves his sixth, seventh man minutes. For real. I really do. (sighs) Now, the dud, Jalen Brown. And you know how Gordon Hayward beat out Al Horford in a photo finish? Jalen Brown is the dud by about 26.2 miles. Yeah, whole Boston Marathon worth. Now, if you guys remember the 76ers game, Jason Tatum in the corner, six spin move around Embiid, dunks on Simmons. It was sick. It was so sick. Everyone got off the bench. Even the coaches were like, whoa. Guess who sat his ass on his chair? Didn't get up. Jalen Brown. Like, what the fuck is your problem, Jalen? Like, that was a sick play. Even if you can make the other fans in the arena, the 76ers fans, go, ooh, 
How do you not stand up and celebrate? Yabo, pumped. Wanamaker, pumped. Time Lord, pumped. Everyone was pumped that was on the bench except for you. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. After Wednesday's game against the Pistons, Jalen Brown now has 17 games with zero assists. Zero assists. Now, has Jalen gotten better since November? Yes, we can all agree. His shooting numbers are up, minus his free throw percentage, but he's shooting better from the field. He's attacking the basket better. He's making better decisions when attacking the basket, and his three-point percentage is up as well. So it's not a complete shot at him. But there's this thing in the NBA called touches, where basically if you have the ball in your hands, whether even if you catch it and then swing it, and it's literally in your hand for one minute, guess what? That's a touch, okay? Now, the number of times that each Celtics player touches the ball, here are the top three. Kyrie's number one, not shocking. Al Horford's number two, not shocking. Terry Rozier's number three, not shocking, because who's ever bringing the ball up, that's the most important person in a Brad Stevens offense. Perfectly fine. There are four players on this team who pass it less than 70% of the time. For example, if Kyrie has touches the ball 100 times in one game, he is going to pass it 66.7% of the time to a teammate. 32.3% of the time, he is going to shoot it. Okay? So 32%, what? just for easy numbers, let's just say 67% he's going to pass it, 33% he's going to shoot it. I feel like that's pretty good, right? Because a lot of people think that he's a ball hawk. Then people under him, Marcus Morris, 67% of the time, I'm sorry, 68% of the time, He'll pass. He'll pass it. Thirty-two percent of the time, he'll shoot it. Jason Tatum, sixty-two percent of the time, he'll pass it, which means thirty-eight percent of the time he'll shoot it. Jalen Brown touches the ball thirty-one times a game. Kyrie touches the ball seventy-five times a game. This is on average. Jalen Brown passes the ball fifty-four percent of the time, which means Jalen Brown shoots it fourteen percent higher than Kyrie. So Jalen Brown, like, listen to this, folks. Who do you want to shoot the ball when they're touching it? Jalen Brown or Kyrie Irving? The answer is Kyrie Irving. There is a 14% higher chance that Jalen Brown is going to shoot the ball than Kyrie Irving whenever Jalen Brown touches the ball. Does that make sense to anybody? Does it? Because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It should be the other way around. Like if, if someone told me Kyrie shoots the ball 46% of the time and the other 54% he passes the ball, I'd be like, well, that makes sense. But Jalen Brown, that should not – like Jason Tatum is the second-to-last player. 62.5% of the time he passes. And then you literally have to basically go down 10 percentage points to find Jalen Brown. Huh? Like what? You have to be kidding me. Jalen Brown has 71 assists in 53 games. Tice – has 51 assists in 44 games. Tice also has a better three-point percentage and a better free-throw percentage than Daniel Tice. I mean, than Jalen Brown. What are you doing, Jalen? Be a team player. What happened to the team player that was Jalen Brown last year? Like, I understand you, you, you had some nice games in the, in the playoffs. You really did. You were a vital, important piece of the playoff run. But you got to make some sacrifices, man. 50... 4% of the time you pass the ball when you touch it and you only touch it 31 times. That's insane. That's insane. Literally insane. Now, you know, if let's say you're a Jalen Brown stan and you don't like Marcus Morris and you could say, well, Marcus Morris and Jalen Brown have played the same amount of games and Marcus Morris only has four more assists 
than Jalen Brown, I would say, okay, that's fair. But guess who's shooting 9% better from three? Marcus Morris. So if you're going to have anyone shoot the ball from three instead of passing it, who's it going to be? Yeah, Marcus Morris. And Marcus Morris is also shooting 20% better from the free throw line. So if Jalen's going to shoot the ball and attack the basket, chances are he's going to miss a free throw anyways. So I would rather have Marcus Morris shoot a three, contested, and go to the free throw line than Jalen Brown. Or I just want Jalen Brown to be a part of this team. I'm telling you, I will flip the switch real quick if Jalen Brown just decides to be a team player. That is a promise, my friends. An absolute promise. But you can't celebrate Tatum's poster of Ben Simmons and you don't pass the ball, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Which then leads me into my next thing that's absolutely unbelievable. Is this Boston Celtics team better with Kyrie Irving? Ha <laughs> No. No. Now, I understand they had a nice little run in the playoffs without him, okay? But let me ask you how the last five and a half minutes of Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals went for the Boston Celtics after Tatum dunked on LeBron. Could anyone find a, a closer? Could anyone find a championship-caliber player? Could anyone find someone who hit one of the biggest shots in NBA Finals history so the Cavaliers could beat the Golden State Warriors? Anyone? No? Anyone? Okay. The Celtics are 9-2 and two this year without Kyrie. But let's talk about some of the teams that they've beat and some of the teams that they have not beat. For example, they have only beat two playoff teams. Okay? Two playoff teams. The Nets and the 76ers. Cute. They've lost to two playoff teams, the Nets and the Jazz. So the other seven teams that they have beat without Kyrie are non-playoff teams, like the Cavs. Or, like, the Cavs. Kyrie has sat out every time the Celtics have played the Cavs. That's not impressive. It's not. It's, like, I think it's great that Terry Rozier shows up when he, when he needs to. But you've only beaten two playoff teams, and you've lost to two playoff teams. So that means you're 7-0 and against teams with losing records or that aren't in the playoffs. That's what you should be doing. The Celtics are 2-11 and on the road without Kyrie against teams with winning records. Breaking news, guys. You're going to be on the road most likely if you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, so you need Kyrie there. You can't go to Milwaukee or Toronto without Kyrie Irving. You can't go there without a score. You really can't. This team needs to win on the road. And they're 2-11 and against teams with winning records without Kyrie Irving. So who's going to step up if Kyrie isn't around? You need Kyrie on this team. And then offensive rating, 113.8 with Kyrie Irving. You know who that's right behind? The Warriors and the Bucks for the best in the NBA. That seems pretty important, doesn't it? And then when he's not on the floor or not playing, it's... The offensive rating is at 105, which is 27th worst in the NBA. The Cleveland Cavaliers have a better offensive rating than that. So don't give me the whole, oh, we need, you know, we need to get rid of Kyrie. It's okay, Rozier and Jalen and we got, no, 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 no. Now, can they beat regular season teams without Kyrie? Sure. You want to rest them for a few more games until April? Sure. Fine by me. But if you don't think that Kyrie Irving is needed in the playoffs for this Boston Celtics team, just stop listening. Thanks for listening to the first 29. He's needed. He's having his best career in assists 
sure, he holds the ball a lot. Sure, maybe he does his own things that may drive people a little crazy. But if you don't think you need Kyrie Irving in the fourth quarter of a Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later. Adios, amigos. All right. Let's preview the Bucks and the Bulls matchup this week before we end this podcast. Both games are on the road. The Bucks game, 8 p.m. Thursday night, February 21st. Bulls game, Saturday night, February 23rd, 8 p.m. in Chicago. This is going to be the Bucks' first game after the All-Star break as well as the Celtics. The Celtics had their own starting lineup the last time they beat the Bucks, And that was, what, November 1st? It was a Thursday night game. It was a big game. But they hit 24 three-pointers in that game. That's... That's going to that's gonna be tough to do on the road, especially right after the All-Star break and get out all the uh, the vacation rust off of you. They also had no Daniel Tice and no Jalen Brown in this game. Interesting. They hit 24 three-pointers without Jalen Brown. And this is also the first time these two teams have met since the Bucks absolutely destroyed them in December at home, and they had that big players' meeting afterwards. Okay, Now, in that big players' meeting, or that game, if you will, they had no Marcus Morris, no Al Horford. Kyrie went 7 of 20. Tatum went 5 of 15. Marcus Smart sucked. But Jalen Brown was good. Hmm. Interesting. So, Horford back, Morris back. Can Jalen come off the bench and play well? And can the Celtics maybe hit 16 threes? They got a chance of winning this game. They really do. Because you also got to think, can Semi Ojale and Al Horford control Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak, most likely the MVP this year? Now, Giannis is going to get his 20. He really is. Or Giannis, however you pronounce it. He's going to get 20. The question is, can the Celtics make sure he doesn't get 30? Because this Bucks team is good. It's just not because of the Greek freak. You know, Chris Middleton, he's an all-star this year. Congratulations to him. Well-deserved. Eric or Drew Bledsoe, whatever you want to call him, he's having his best season. Brogdon, who won Rookie of the Year two years ago, he's finally healthy. Brooke Lopez, for some odd reason, now has a three-point shot, so you can't leave him alone. And then Mirchich is a huge pickup for them, absolute huge pickup. He can spread the floor. He can shoot the three. He's he's going to be huge for them. And you, he's not one of those guys where, like, oh, the Greek freak's got a wide-open lane. Someone slide over because if the Greek freak can pass the ball to him, chances are you're getting three instead of two. So this is, I don't want to say it's like a big game because it's the first game after the All-Star break. There's going to be a lot of rust involved. You know, I'm sure, you know, the guys will practice on the 20th together, kind of get back into the rhythm of things. But I don't want to say it's a must win. I think it's a, I think if they can win this game and then be like, all right, it's go time. I think that will be really, really big for this team. I really and truly do. Oh, yeah, and you can't even forget, like, Tony Snell or George Hill, like a veteran player, and Tony Snell, for some odd reason, always kills the Celtics. Him and Thonmaker, for whatever reason, always killed the Celtics. But, like, am I going to be upset if they lose this game on the road against the Bucks after the All-Star break? No. I'm if it was like the Raptors game, which is next Monday, would I be a little pissed? Yeah, probably. But... Just show up. Don't get blown out. Don't have player-only meetings afterwards. Compete. Compete, compete, compete in this game. And then finally, Saturday night, the Bulls game. This is the first time the two teams have played when the Celtics beat them 153. I'm sorry, 133-77. to Yeah, they beat them by 56 points the last time these teams two played. And, in early, and that was in Chicago when that happened, when they won by 56 points. So clearly... 
oh, excuse me, the Bulls aren't going to make that happen again. They're going to they're want revenge. They're going to be fired up. They can, the Celtics cannot take this game lightly. They played earlier this year in the Garden. The Celtics won 111-82. But you, you got to think, Markkanen is back. Markkanen is one of the best foreign young players in the league. He was in the Rising Stars Challenge game on Friday night of NBA All-Star Weekend. He's a great player. Zach Levine's good. Robin Lopez, he's good. He'll get his. Otto Porter Jr. is now on the team. They traded Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker. They're now in Washington. Otto Porter Jr. is now like kind of like their number one guy, if you will, him and Zach Levine. Wendell Carter's out for the entire year. You also got Justin Holiday to worry about. You know, the Bulls have some young guys that, that are pretty good, but this should be a victory for the Boston Celtics. It really and truly should. And what's crazy about the the last Bulls game when they won 133-77 to there was no Horford and no Baines, and Baines should be back. Horford will play, and Daniel Tice had a plus 50. So chances are Daniel Tice isn't going to be getting a plus 50 in that game. But yeah, alrighty, that's it. Episode 29 in the books of the Banner Banter Podcast. You can check this out if you don't like the podcast application that you're using right now. You can check it out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, etc., etc. Find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. That's it this week. Thanks again for listening. Tell your friends about it. If they're Boston Celtics fans, spread the word. And keep the date March 29th available. I got some big news coming up. Once I finalize all those details, I'll let you know about it. All right, guys. Have a great week. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans. Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.